Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Temple Baptist Church this Sunday morning. Please take your songbooks. Stand with me, if you will. Page 161. Page 161. Our Great Savior. Page 161. God, J. Wilbur Chapman. And I tell you what, uh, as we're singing here this morning, just like we did last week, let's think about what we're doing here. We're praising our great Savior. And once again, He is worthy. And we've got a lot of cares of this life, a lot of worries and a lot of burdens. But let me tell you something, the answer to everything that you're going through is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so He's worthy of our praise. This is Father's Day, and I want to wish all of you fathers a, a happy Father's Day. And all of you, if you'd skip just down a couple verses in this hymn and look at verse number three, it says, Jesus, what a help in sorrow, while the billows o'er me roll, even when my heart is breaking, he, my comfort, helps my soul. I mean, I mean, many of you here this morning, myself including, our fathers have already gone on to heaven and we miss them and our hearts are grieving. But listen, Jesus Christ is the comfort of our soul. And so let's focus our attention on him, him here today as we continue singing. Welcome to the service, all of you live stream listeners as well. On the second verse.
page 144, page 144, a mighty fortress is our God, page 144. After, I'm sorry, please forgive me, after our deacon prays. Well, hallelujah, what a savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. The psalmist said here in, excuse me, Psalm 42, thinking just for a moment this morning, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. Are you thirsty this morning, my friend? Are you looking for something from God this morning? We come today to serve and worship God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank thee, O God, for this opportunity to gather this morning and to open the word of God. And Lord, we pray, Father, that as we come, Lord, we would seek you as a heart. The young deer, Lord, sought for the waters, Lord, that so satisfied that physical, that physical need in the life. Lord, you're the God that not only can meet the physical need, but the spiritual needs as well. As the woman at the well cried forth that day and you gave her the living water. Oh, what a day it was for her, dear God. And may this be that kind of day for us today, Lord, as we wait before you. Father, we pray, God, that our hearts would be prepared to meet with you today, dear God. And Lord, that the Spirit of God might be able to work in our midst. Lord, if there's unconfessed sin in our midst, God, we pray, Lord, that you'd help us, Lord, to confess it and forsake it today, oh God. Maybe there's something in our lives, Lord, some sin that hasn't been dealt with, dear God. We pray that today would be the day, Lord, that the Spirit of God would truly be able to work in our hearts, bring conviction where needed, dear God, work in every heart of every need of every individual. Lord, if there's one here today that's not saved, we pray that this would be the glad day they'd see their need to be saved, Lord, and rejoice in that finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross. Father, we pray that you'd bless our pastor, Lord, today. Fill him with your fullness, dear God. Meet his ever need, dear God. Father, we pray you'd give him boldness to speak forth the words of truth. Help us, Lord, to worship you in spirit and truth, dear, dear, dear God, today. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, page 144. A mighty fortress is our God.
right, you may be seated. So once again, happy Father's Day, and in honor of all of our fathers, at the end of the service, out in the foyer, we've got cookies for all of you dads, and so um, that's something that uh, we like to do, and I like to do, because personally I like cookies, and uh, I am definitely a cookie monster, and I'm sure that you'd say, yeah, preacher, it shows, but uh, anyhow, uh, cookies for all of you dads, and uh, all of you kids say, how come I don't get one? Just because, okay? Because dad said no. But uh, anyhow, it is good to be here in church today. Uh, other announcements that I have tonight, uh, we have an evening service at 6. There will be no kids choir. That gives you some extra time with family between services. And for any and all of you that are involved in special music or would be interested in uh, being involved in special music. I'd like to meet with you for a ten, about a 10-minute, maybe 15-minute meeting after the service this evening in the chapel and uh, want to get uh, some special music stuff lined up for uh, the rest of the summer and the, uh, perhaps maybe even as we head into next school year. And so if you could uh, meet with us, that would be a great, great blessing. Uh, Wednesday at 7, we've got Bible study and prayer meeting. And then Saturday... We've got our 8 in the morning men's prayer meeting, and then if you'll notice that this coming Saturday at noon, we're having our street ministry back downtown again. We'll be meeting at Pecan Park, and if uh, if you don't know where Pecan Park is, just show up downtown Center Street and Broad Street. That's kind of the general area where we're at, and so um, uh, you'll figure out where Pecan Park is eventually. And we're hoping to get some more tracks out by going downtown for a little while. There's more foot traffic, and so we've got a lot of tracks here, a lot of seed in the barn, folks, that we need to get out. This uh, gospel uh, seed is not doing anybody any good while it sits here in the barn. And so we got to get it out there in the field. And so if you would, uh, you do your part. If everybody does what we're supposed to be doing and hand out tracks, leave tracks uh, laying around, Give them to your waitress, give them to the store clerk, uh, leave them. I, sometimes I'll leave them at the soap dispenser in a, a public restroom and just sit it right there and somebody can grab it and read it. You just never know what God's going to do with the gospel track. And so let's be faithful in that. And then next Sunday night, we've got Pastor Max Robinson with us, good friend of mine. Him and his wife, Rachel, are going to be with us for uh, uh, the following week. And so we'll be hearing from him, good man of God, and we're looking forward to that. And then also Vacation Bible School. It starts on the 27th, and that is just around the corner. We still have as many of these as you need, these little flyers. You can grab a handful of them out of the rack out there in the foyer, and you can hand them to people, try to invite kids, or if you've got any connections, family, neighborhood, Anyone that you know, let's try to get as many kids as we can in our Vacation Bible School. The theme is Alpine Ascent, and in light of that, uh, Sister Shannon said that we still need to borrow some decorations from you as a church family. Here are the items that we still need, all right? I was missing, mis- I misunderstood. We don't just need one of all these items. We need as many of these as we can get We need seven-foot or shorter Christmas trees with stands. We need garland, ice skates, snow skis, hockey sticks, hockey equipment, goggles, snowboards, old wooden sleds, a small tent, and uh, portable cots. 
And so if you could help out, we need those by Monday, is that correct? Hopefully by tomorrow. And so um, get in your attic or your storage. I know I've got to get up in my loft and get some of the stuff that we can help out with and uh, try to either bring it tonight or uh, bring it to the church tomorrow. You can uh, drop it off. They'll be here decorating. And in light of that, uh, if you are willing to help out with decorations, then be at the church at 9 in the morning. Now, let me make sure I understood. That's tomorrow, Sister Shannon? 9 a.m. tomorrow. Anyone that wants to help, but please, no children uh, can come while uh, decorating, and that is for safety purposes and uh, Sister Shannon was being nice. I would say probably for productivity purposes as well. And you know how kids can be. You uh, get something done, and it gets undone awfully easily. But uh, anyhow, if you can help out, that would be a huge blessing. And the best way that you can help out, besides getting kids to come, is by praying. Uh, brothers and sisters, God answers prayers. And when we pray earnestly... God doesn't always answer it the way that we want Him to, or certainly the timing that God wants, uh, that we want. But I'm telling you what, prayer is powerful and it works. And I want to encourage you, pray for Vacation Bible School. I think we can all agree that the, the, the world that these children are growing up in is not the same world that we grew up in. And it ain't getting any better. And so we definitely need to pray that God would do a work of grace in the hearts of these young people and bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's the only hope that they have. And so let's pray and be faithful. And hopefully, by the grace of God, the Lord will bless us with a great vacation Bible school this year. All right, let's all stand and sing hymn number 139. I know whom I have believed, hymn 139. One of my personal favorites when I was a kid. All right, page 139. I know now why God's wondrous grace to me He hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for His own. But I know whom I am believing and am persuaded.
Thank you, men. What a blessing. What a blessing. Luke chapter number 3. Would you stand with me as you find Luke chapter number 3? While you're turning here on Father's Day, I thought about a little... This might not even been a joke. This might be a true story. A a father's getting his hair cut, and he says to his barber, he says, says, when do you think would be a good time for me to bring my two-year-old son in? The barber said, when he's four. (laughs) All right, one quick verse here, and um, I'm going to explain it before we read it. Here in Luke chapter number 3, we have what everybody enjoys when they read the Bible. We have some genealogies. We have so-and-so is the son of so-and-so is the son of so-and-so. Just like in Chronicles, you have so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. Everybody loves when they get to these these genealogies in their Bible reading, and uh, many of you probably speed read through much of it and you don't pronounce all of the names. And you know what? I've heard preachers that are a little more spiritual than me that rebuke you for 
uh, kind of glossing over that, but you know what? Just stay in the Bible. I don't care how you do it, and uh, just stay in the Word of God. Uh, anything's better than nothing, amen? But uh, this, is a, um, this is a genealogy, if you will, and of course, Luke's gospel refers to Jesus frequently as the Son of Man. And the reason is because just like Matthew's gospel presents Jesus Christ as king, and it traces the genealogy of Jesus Christ back through the lineage to King David, here in Luke's gospel, it's focusing on the humanity of Jesus Christ. And so it traces the lineage of Jesus Christ all the way back to Adam, the first man that was ever created. And so look with me, having said that, verse number 38, it says, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, and watch this next phrase closely, which was the son of God. I want to speak to you this morning on your relationship with the Father. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to pray this morning. Thank you, Lord, for all that we've already uh, heard and and felt here this morning, the men singing, holy, holy, holy. Lord, I'm reminded that in the throne of heaven, that those creatures cease not day and night crying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And Lord, you are worthy of our praise today. You are worthy of our hearts and our passions and our attention. And God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would draw our attention into the truth of the Word of God here today. Lord, I pray that this message would help each and every listener, myself including, to have a right relationship with you. Bless us, we pray. If anyone is without Jesus Christ, I pray, God, that this message would be used by the Holy Spirit to draw them to you that they might be saved and have their sins forgiven. Give us your presence and your blessings today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Adam was the son of God. The Bible says so. Adam was the son of God in every way. Now, Adam's descendants, that would be you and I, we cannot make the same claim. In Acts chapter number 17, we see an example of of what I just said, that we cannot all say that we are sons of God. In Acts 17, verse 29, the Apostle Paul is speaking to pagans, to uh, people there in Athens, Greece, that did not believe in the God of this Bible and did not believe in Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, for as much then as we are, watch this, the offspring of God. He didn't say that they were children of God. He said, you're the offspring of God. And he said, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone or graven by art and man's device. He referred to them as the offspring of God. Listen, folks, the universal brotherhood of man concept and the fathership of God ceased, it stopped the moment that Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. Now, we are still in the likeness of God, physically speaking. But we are no longer in the image of God. God created Adam in his image, but he also created him in his likeness. And so when you see the likeness of humanity, 
you see the likeness of God, but we are no longer in the image of God. That's a whole nother thing. Consider what Jesus said in John chapter number 8 and verse number 42. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because, listen to this, because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. Listen, your spiritual paternity, who your spiritual father is, will be recognized by your heart's desires and by your behavior, but especially by whose voice you listen to. Jesus said, if God were your father, you'd listen to God. If you're not listening to God then and you're listening to the devil, then there is a really, really good chance that spiritually speaking, now you can claim to be a Christian, a believer in God. What you claim is not the determining factor who you are, what you love. I heard a preacher, Vance Havner, say, and he said it a whole lot sweeter, you know, these old men of God that could say something rough, but say it real sweet, I, maybe one day I'll get there. But he, he said frequently in his sermons, he'd say, you know what? He said, you that love the world so much, maybe it's because you're of the world. And so Jesus made it clear that we're not all children of God just because you claim it. It all comes down to what's really truly in your heart. Whose voice are you listening to? And I want to speak here this morning on your relationship with the Father because, and here's an interesting thing. I told the men in men's prayer meeting yesterday the message I'm preaching today is a first for me. It's a first in the sense that this is a special day, Father's Day. But the fact of the matter is, is even if today was not Father's Day, this is the message that I'd be preaching. I didn't have to come up with a special Father's Day message. This is the message that God put on my heart about three weeks ago. Before I even put two and two together and looked at the calendar and saw, hey, this is Father's Day. This is a burden that's been on my heart. And so I always get frustrated that, oh, I got to come up with a patriotic message. I got to come up with a Mother's Day message and a Valentine's Day message and a Thanksgiving message and a Christmas message and an Easter message. Not that I'm against those messages. But when you take all of the special days in the calendar and you add all of those up, there's a whole lot more Bible that needs to be preached and taught. And so sometimes as a pastor, that frustrates me a little bit. But today I'm bringing a message that I would have brought to you even if it wasn't Father's Day. That's how important that today's message is. And so first of all, I want to talk to you about the ideal father-son relationship. Now, all of you ladies, please don't panic here. When I talk about a father-son relationship, you just insert the word daughter. And for sake of time and just sticking to what the Scripture teaches, God's not saying that you daughters aren't important or anything like that. Just stay calm and insert yourself into that phrase because the Bible says that we're sons of God whether we're male or female. Amen? 
And so don't get all feminist and sexist with me, and don't get confused about your identity. If you were born a girl, you're a girl. If you were born a boy, you're a boy. I don't care what the whole world says, okay? It just is the way that it is. And you didn't used to have to say that, but you have to say it today. The ideal father-son relationship. Genesis chapter number 2, verse number 19, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam, his son, if you will, to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature... That was the name thereof. Don't you know that was a special time for God the Father as he had created his son Adam? Adam, was, Adam didn't, wasn't created as a little baby and then grown up. He was created as an adult. And he had the faculty of speech built into him by the Creator. So there were some unique things about Adam. He didn't have to learn and to grow into that relationship. There were some things that were inherent in him because they were put there by his father, his creator. And there had to have been a special time between God the Father and his son Adam. And he'd bring these creatures, critters, say, what do you want to call it, son? And Adam would look it over and he'd come up with a name for it. And, you know, th- there's a lot of creatures out there that have some weird names. And I don't know if it's the same names that Adam came up with. I know when we were in Papua New Guinea, we'd be walking in the jungle with some of the natives. And Sister Lynn would say to some of the, the little kids, we'd see a, see a dog there. And she'd say, what do you call dog? And they'd say, dog. And then we see a pig. She'd say, what do you call a pig? And they'd say, pig. <laughs> yeah, we, we learned the language and the culture really easy, didn't we? <laughs> but I, I, I don't know if what we call things, I mean, we, this is English, I don't even, we don't even know what language that Adam and God were speaking in. I've heard some theological debate about that, and I'm just going to let God and Adam worry about that. Not a, Certainly not a big deal to me, but It had to have been a pretty special conversation between a father and a son. The relationship between God and his son Adam could not have been better. Could not have been better. They had trust with each other. They enjoyed their time together. God was sensitive to Adam's needs and provided for those needs in every way. Uh, Number one, uh, he could freely eat of every tree in the garden God gave him this garden, put all of these trees, and said, Hey, Adam, you can freely eat. And we know that there was one tree that God said, Don't eat of it. But everything else, God was sensitive to Adam's needs. He gave him, I mean, all the freedom in the world, no pun intended. Other than one tree, Adam had all the freedom that this world could afford. Uh, God was sensitive to Adam's need for self-expression. He said, hey, son, what do you want to call these animals? I created them, but I'm putting you in charge of them. I'm going to let you express your desires and to use your intellect and your creativity. And so God was sensitive to those emotional needs of the man that he had created. I'm not talking about a a control factor here. I'm talking about self-expression. Not only that, but... 
God the Father was sensitive to Adam's need for a helpmeet and for human companionship. I, I don't know that Adam ever complained and said, God, isn't there somebody else I could talk to? I think Adam was perfectly fine with talking to God. But God was sensitive to his son's needs, and he recognized a need that his son didn't even know about. That's how perfect that the relationship was between Adam and his father. Probably the only problem that Adam had was Father's Day. I mean, after all, what do you get for the man that has everything? But seriously, Adam and his father had open and transparent conversation. It was enjoyed. It was sought out. It was uninhibited. I mean, there was no conflict of the will that we see in father-son or father-daughter relationships. There were no boundaries for Adam's protection. Everything was perfect about the environment. I mean, God the Father was the perfect father, and Adam the Son was the perfect son. You just couldn't ask for a better relationship with that. And that is what God has intended for father-son relationships. How could this perfect father-son relationship be destroyed? Well, you know the story. The problem all began when Adam started listening to other voices than God's. He started listening to his wife, who was listening to the serpent, by the way. I'm not saying it's all Eve's fault. Eve, evidently, she started listening to the wrong voice, and the serpent is reprogramming Eve's mind, and then Eve starts influencing Adam, and the whole thing just gets obliterated. The perfect relationship that met where everybody's needs was being met, Satan figured out a way to come in and to destroy that. And it all started by whose voice was being listened to. Let me tell you something. The devil's greatest objection, I'm sorry, objective is to break the father-son relationship. And let me tell you something, he is really, really good at it. All that they had to worry about in the Garden of Eden was the voice of one serpent. But think about the voices that the serpent has in today's culture. You know, Eve started hanging around that tree and looking at it. So, man, that looks like some pretty good, pretty good food there. That's pleasant to the eyes. Man, I bet you, I bet you that that would really help me out. I'd be happier if I ate of that fruit. And the whole time God knew what he was talking about. And Satan, listen to this, especially if you're, if you're a child, especially if you're a son, Satan figured out a master plan to get God's son to think that God was being a bully. God was trying to keep him from something good. And he put in his mind and in his heart that he had Adam's best interest in mind and that God was just trying to keep something good from him. Now, if you ever think that maybe the devil was right and God was wrong, then, uh, read tomorrow's obituary and schedule to go to that funeral service. And you show up at that funeral service this week and you watch all of the people weeping 
and all of the people brokenhearted and sad over their loved one who's sitting in a casket that they won't, they may never see him again. Just go to that funeral if you doubt that maybe God was the good guy or, or maybe you think that the devil was the good guy and God was the bad guy. All of the suffering. There were some great suffering in our community last week. And that suffering will continue for a long, long time, the rest of some people's lives. You know why that is? It's because of Adam listening to the wrong voice and he sent the whole humanity, all of his descendants, into the same problem. How in the world could this perfect father-son relationship be messed up by listening to the wrong voice? Now, what changed when Adam ate of that fruit? When Adam sinned, oh, some great changes took place. Consider Genesis 3 and verse number 8. It says, when they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam, Son, he says, where are you? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Can you see what's going on in this story? God is no longer Adam's friend. Now God becomes the enemy. He becomes the one that's being hidden from Hide from dad, hide from father. No longer is he loved, but now he is only feared. In fact, in the narrative, you find that even the father gets blamed for the debacle. Well, the woman that thou gavest me. And the woman says, well, the serpent beguiled me. And who created the serpent? And it all comes down to a God, a heavenly father that was perfect and did everything that he could to meet the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of his son, now all of a sudden he's the enemy and he's the one at fault. If you'd be honest with yourself, as I had to get honest with myself some 36 years ago, I had the same mentality at Adam as Adam. I was blaming God, blaming other people. The fact of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, I just was in love with myself and my sin. Strindberg said this, that is the thankless position of the father in the family, the provider for all and the enemy of all. It was said years ago, back when long distance phone calls were expensive. Some of you remember that. You young people, you can get on a family plan and you can call, you know, through your cell phone and it doesn't cost you any more money. Listen, when we moved away from family, it it was expensive. I mean, just to talk to family for 10 minutes and then you get the bill the next month and it's like, wow, it was expensive. But it was said a number of years ago that Mother's Day is still the busiest day of the year for florists, for restaurants, and for long-distance phone companies. Father's Day is the day on which the most collect phone calls are made. (laughs) Listen, I... I love being a dad, and I'm not a victim here. But let's face it, that a lot of times dads get, they get a bum rap. 
They get criticized. They, I mean, every fault that a father has is going to be magnified in the eyes of especially uh, adolescent or older children. They're going to start seeing that dad's not Superman. He's not perfect. He's not the hero that he was when I was seven years old. Now I see that he's got... Pro- he, hey, he can't do it all. And a lot of times children don't understand that dad's out there battling the world. He's trying to pay the bills. You know, a, lot, a good dad is not going to burden his children with the, the, the burdens that he's bearing. Well, dad, you don't spend enough time with me. Yeah, well, they don't know that you got a mortgage payment. You're trying to put a roof over their head. And so you're working 60, 70 hours a week just so that you got a roof over their head so you can put food on their table and you go out there. Listen, you don't want to be working 80 hours a week. You'd rather go fishing. Oh, Dad, you don't spend enough time with me. It's sad. And I'm not saying that there aren't dads that are deficient. I'm not even saying that I didn't have my deficiencies as a dad. We're weak. We're frail. Listen, when Adam sinned, guess what? He became a dad. And then we become dads. And sadly, sadly, the only time we figure out how to appreciate our fathers is when we become fathers. Listen, the same thing happened that happened to the relationship between Adam and God happens with young men and young ladies. They hide. They sow fig leaves. Well, I'm going to try to cover up what I really am and, you know, and maybe God, maybe dad won't see me for what I am. And what, what did the father do when he saw Adam with his fig leaves? He didn't say, Oh, son, you did a great job with that skirt. He said, I got something better for you. And so Adam probably said, well, nothing I can do that pleases him. Right? Well, the father knew what Adam needed. He knew what his son really needed. And so he made him coats of skins. The whole time, Adam's like, well, I don't measure up. And they end up casting blame. And it's the same thing that we do with our Heavenly Father. It's the same thing. Genesis chapter number 3. Watch this. This is an important truth. Genesis 3.22, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden, kicked him out, to till the ground from whence he was taken. Go to work, son. You're going to have to start sweating now. You're going to have to provide for yourself. I've been providing for you your whole life. It wasn't good enough. You wanted something different. Now you're going to have to take responsibility for your actions. And it says, so he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the tree of life. Well, God, you big bully, man, you put this, you put this supernatural creature here with a flaming sword and anybody who tries to get back in that garden, what about the tree of life? Wouldn't that just fix the problem? 
God, why didn't you just let Adam eat of the fruit of the tree of life and then they'd live forever? Let me tell you something. And this is the problem with father-son relationships. God knows what's best. He's trying to protect Adam from Adam. He knows what would happen. And Adam, who was foolish enough to do what, to listen to another voice and to eat of that fruit, and it probably tasted delicious. But all the effects were not delicious. I don't know what the tree of life looks like. I don't know what that fruit would taste like. But I guarantee you, Adam's trying to figure out, hey, how can I fix this mess? If Adam would have eaten of the fruit of the tree of life, he would have lived in this depraved condition. This dying, I mean, these bodies were going to die. I, I don't want to live forever in this body, do you? Some of you young people, it's like, yeah, I'm okay with that. If you don't believe me, just go to the, come to the gym with me. I'll show you how it is. Well, just give it a few years. Wait till you get married and you start getting fat because you don't have time to work out. Wait till you start getting old and you don't have the energy to go work out. And wait till you get sick. And wait till you injure your back and wait till all of these things that everybody goes through something eventually and we all just end up dying. By the time you get pretty old, like some of you are here this morning, it's like, you know, I don't want to live to be 150 like this. This is not going very good. God was doing the most merciful thing, the most loving thing that he could do with what Adam gave him to work with. He was trying to protect his son from the world and the surroundings around him and protect Adam from Adam. Listen, the relationship changed, but God was still a loving father. But because of Adam... The relationship, the father had to change the way that he dealt with his son. The freedom was gone. It was no longer uninhibited. And now there were rules and now there were fences and there were things. And listen, you need to pray for every dad today. Because, listen, it was tough enough when my kids were growing up. And it was worse then than when I was growing up. And there were some things that I was allowed to do that in today's culture, it would be foolish for a dad to let his kids have that kind of freedom. It's a wicked world out there. It's evil. And Satan's trying to destroy. There's serpents on every corner and under every rock. And they're in the schoolhouse. They're in the church house. There's serpents that are everywhere you go. People carry serpents around in their pocket and on their hip. They play with the serpent. It's just access right there. It's all over the place. Before I move on to my second point, I want to say this. Very few relationships between Christian fathers and sons can endure early adulthood. Listen... I've yet to find anyone with the perfect formula for success. I look at my life. My father didn't protect me enough. 
My son would probably uh, say without doubt that I was an overprotective father. And certainly he would have some areas that he could make a good case. But the vicious cycle has and will continue, and even more as this world becomes increasingly evil. And as I've said before, most, most children, they don't even appreciate it until they bring children into the world and realize how much they love their kids and how they don't want their kids to get hurt. They don't want their kids to destroy their life. We don't appreciate it until we're in the ball game and the stakes are high and it's like, wow, I thought I had life all figured out. And you find out that you just didn't, you didn't have anything figured out. We all just desperately need the Lord and His grace. And so there was the perfect father-son relationship and it was destroyed Which brings us to point number two that I want to talk about this morning, and that is the confusion and the chaos of worship. From the beginning, the concept of worship was confusing. It was chaotic and it was contentious. Man has an inner desire to get back what Adam lost. Listen, we were created in that image, and there's something down deep inside of us that wants that restored what Adam had. You can deny it all that you want. You can corrupt that desire, but there is a desire in every human being, in our soul, that we want something that's better than ourselves. We want something bigger than ourselves. There is an emptiness and a void that the only thing that can satisfy it is a relationship with our Creator, the Father. It's an inner desire to get get it back. It's universal. It's undeniable. The first act of worship recorded in the Bible is that of two brothers, Cain and Abel. They both brought offerings to the Lord. Cain, he brought of the fruit. He had grown all of these wonderful fruits and vegetables, and he had tilled it, and he had pulled the weeds, and he had really put a lot of hard work and a lot of... Listen, There, it takes a lot of ingenuity to grow good stuff anywhere. I mean, we, I mean, the, the soil that we have here, it, it takes a lot of work. You got to get the pH just right. You got to get the microbes in it right. I mean, if you don't, then it's going to grow weeds, but it's not going to grow the fruit. You got to make sure you get the right amount of water to it. I mean, growing tomatoes in Statesville, it, it takes a lot of diligent effort. I mean, you, you, they either go through a week of drought or then it rains for a whole week. I mean, you get these beautiful tomato plants and all of a sudden the tomatoes are just looking gorgeous. I mean, they're starting to turn red and then it rains for a week and they all just split. (laughs) Or the bugs get them. It takes a lot of work. Cain brought an offering to the Lord and I guarantee you the fruit that he brought to the Lord was beautiful and perfect. But we find that the Lord said that he didn't have respect for Cain's offering. Abel took from his flock an animal. It wasn't a beautiful or a pretty sight. I don't know exactly how he offered that to the Lord, but typically on an offering of an animal, then the throat is slit and it's a blood sacrifice. And so that animal is actually slain and uh, Abel brings that to the Lord. 
And God said he had respect unto Abel's, but he had no respect unto Cain's. They're both trying to worship. And I don't find anywhere in the text that God told them to. I don't find anywhere that God said to those, hey, Cain and Abel, come here, boys. I want you to bring me an offering. I don't know that he did. Personally, I don't think that God did. I think it was an, it was a, an expression of that universal inherent desire to worship God in an attempt to get back what Adam lost, that father-son relationship. When Cain realized that God liked Abel's offering, he didn't like his, you know the rest of the story. He got, he got mad. He got mad at God. And when he got mad at God, guess who he took it out on? He took it out on his brother. That's just how passionate people are about worship. And that's why I say that worship is a very confusing and a very chaotic thing. Wars have been fought. People have been persecuted and tortured. Families have been divided. Churches have been split. And arguments will continue all over opinions about worship. Who to worship? How to worship? When to worship? And the list just goes on and on and on. It's chaotic. It's confusing. The woman of Samaria in John 4, verse number 20, says to Jesus Christ, she said, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Once again, Jesus didn't bring up the subject of worship, but it was in her heart. Why was it in her heart? Because it's universal, it's inherent, and it's in all of our hearts looking to try to satisfy someone that maybe they're responsible for why we're here. Today's emphasis on worship is intriguing. It is elevated to the highest priority in many churches. And yet those who elevate it are clueless as to what it means. People think that the person who leads in the music is the worship leader. This may shock you, but that's just simply not biblical. The first mention of worship in the Bible was when Abraham took Isaac up to Mount Moriah and he was going to offer him. He said, me and the lad are going to go and worship and then come back. That was going to be a sacrifice. Many times in the Bible, if somebody's worshiping, they are bowing down. They are bowing down in front of the person or the entity that's being worshiped. Sometimes it's a sacrifice. Sometimes it is just adoration. Sometimes it's from the heart. Sometimes it's the position of the body that shows worship. But in all of this emphasis today on worship, which if they'd be honest, they would say it's really not worship. It's just a performance. It's our music that we like. I believe that if Jesus was here today and went into the most churches today, he would say the same thing as he said to the woman of Samaria in John 4 and verse number 22. He'd say, ye worship, ye know not what. You bought into some movement or some guru. You know, most of the worship that's in churches today, 
never existed in 2,000 years of church history until 1960 and the early 70s. Right after the Jesus movement, the Woodstock generation, that's where the modern concept of worship comes from. It's a new thing. And yet, everybody practically thinks that, oh, this is the way that it's supposed to be. And the fact of the matter is, is you've got people that worship they know not what. And so worship has been a very chaotic and a confusing thing ever since Adam and his relationship with the Father was, was broken. And so number three, my last point, I want to talk to you about the relationship restored. In John 4, verse number 23, Jesus said, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit And in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. You know what I see here, folks? I see fellowship. The Lord is seeking people to fellowship with him. Now, restored relationship begins with honor. Consider what Malachi the prophet said, chapter 1, verse 6. He's saying, he's repeating what God the Father is saying about the children of Israel. God said, a son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? If I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts? You know, God's looking down and his people are saying, oh, you're our father. And he's looking at how they treat him. And it's like, you honor your earthly father. You do what they say, but you don't do anything I say. The Lord's saying that if you want a relationship with me, It starts with honor. And then, if you want a restored relationship, God wants you to listen to Him. Now, this next text is a little bit obscure. It's not a, it's not a passage of scripture that is commonly known. But I think it's a wonderful passage because it tells about a group of people back in Jeremiah's day, actually before Jeremiah, and they were known as the Rechabites. And Jonadab, uh, let's just read it here. Jeremiah 35, verse 14. The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, that he commanded his sons not to drink wine. Here, here, this is, this was a nomad. This was a guy that lived out there in tents and they kept uh, sheep and so forth. And he said to his children, he said, I don't want you to ever drink wine. And I mean, not just you, but your children, grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren, he said, if you're part of this family, he said, I'm making a commandment that we don't ever drink wine. Now listen, buckle your seatbelt. This isn't about wine, okay? This is about a relationship between God our Father and us as his sons. Jonadab made that commandment. Listen, whether he should have made that commandment, or I think it's a good commandment personally, but That's not the point at hand. The Lord says that he said that and his words are performed for unto this day, God says, they drink none, but obey their father's commandment. Notwithstanding, I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking, but ye hearkened not unto me. God's taking this family and using them as a universal example. He said, Jonadab said, don't drink wine. They obeyed him. They didn't question it. Well, how much is enough? Is it a little? Is it a lot? 
Well, what brand can I drink? Can I drink the light stuff? They didn't go into all of that. Dad said don't, and they didn't. And God says, you know what? That is a blessing. And God said that the descendants, the men of Jonadab's family, he said, he said, there will not fail one of them that will stand before me. God gave a generational blessing upon those children because they just simply trusted their father and did what he said. And God says, listen, I'm rising up early and I'm telling you, why won't you listen to me? If you want a relationship with God, then it begins with honor. You've got to start listening to him. And then this point, I haven't been rough yet. And I'm not going to get rough, but this is a very pointed point. You need to listen to it. God doesn't want leftovers. Malachi 1, verse number 8, the Lord says, And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? You know what the children of Israel were doing? They're doing the same thing that Christians do with God the Father today. They were giving Him the leftovers. They weren't giving Him the good, the good stock. They were, it's like, you know what? This one's probably not going to make it. Let's just give it to God. Right? I can get more money out of that good one, so I'm going to keep that one for myself. And God's saying, hey, try that with the governor. Try it when you pay your taxes. See how, see how they, how that measures up. Somebody that you're wanting to impress. Uh, why don't you give it to them? And God's making a very valid point. He's trying to get us to see things from His perspective. And therein lies all of our problems, folks, is that we look at life through our own eyes, through our selfish motives, and we don't see that there is a God of heaven that wants to have a relationship with us. But it's got to be based on that which is true and that which is right. Listen, God gets so many leftovers today. Now I'm going to be direct. Don't get upset at me because I'm going to tell you the truth. I am all for the things that go on among families today. I'm all for sports I'm all for socialization. I'm all for activities and clubs and so forth. I'm all for providing the best means that you can for your family. But if you were really honest, you give God the leftovers. Think about all the time and energy that you and the sacrifice that you make for a game, a recital, or for a standard of living. And I know how we justify it. I've been there. I've done that. I mean, we will literally spend all day out in the hot sun at a ball game while our kids play sports. And then the preacher gets up and says, hey, um, we're going to have street ministry at noon. It's like, in July? It's too hot out there. I can't go out there for an hour and stand there and hold a sign to try to tell people about Jesus Christ. You get where I'm coming from. Oh, men's prayer at eight in the morning? I can't get up that early. 
You did for practice. You did for the game. Well, I don't want to let my team down. Hey, I don't even need to say that. I think you figure it out. What about God? What about God? So I just don't have enough time. Listen, Jesus made it clear. If you trust him, if you trust God, God said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You know what your problem is? You cannot trust God. You think you have to figure it out and do it yourself. Listen, you would be better off in your standard of living. You'd be better off in the happiness of your children and the relationship with your children if you'd give God the first and then give all the other things of this world the leftovers. You would find out that the leftovers, when you put God first, are three and four and five times more than you have right now when you put those things first. It just comes down to faith and trust. Once again, oh, well, we need our family time on Sunday. Yeah, I I agree. I love family time. I love sports. And I'm not saying one thing about, listen, I, I love to come to games and watch kids play sports. I'm just simply saying that when all of this is said and done, it's not going to matter if we don't have a relationship with God. Listen, how did, what does it matter how many goals our kids scored if they don't have a relationship with God? Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. I know that God God has high priority in your life. I know you prioritize Him, but the problem is, is He just doesn't have top priority. And if you want to have a relationship with God, he does not, he is not interested in being second. He's not interested in being third. God says, I'm your father. I'm your creator. I put you here for my pleasure. And until we acknowledge and accept that, we're never going to fill the void. You're going to run, you're going to spend your life running on that hamster cage, that wheel, just running, running, activity, 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 energy, energy, energy. And you're going to get to the end of your life. You're going to be empty. You're going to have regrets. You're going to realize that as far as eternity is concerned, you got nowhere. You just wasted your life because you could not trust God to be number one in your life. You thought that He was going to take away your fun. You thought He was going to ruin everything about your life when the whole time God's saying, hey, i got something way better for you. Don't settle for fool's gold. I've got the real stuff for you, 24 karat. It's pure. And I can make your life worth living. And I can fill, fill that emptiness and that void. In conclusion, thank you for your listening here this morning. Thank you for your patience. In conclusion, your relationship with God can only be restored by our Father's only begotten Son. Galatians 3, verse number 26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus in Christ Jesus. Listen, we were born into this world. Our spiritual paternity was of our father, the devil. 
And our life demonstrated that. When the devil said jump, we said how high. Everything that the devil wanted us to do, that's what was in our heart to do. But if you want a new daddy, if you're tired of him setting you up for failure, if you're tired of his lies and his bait and switch, all the things. Listen, I can remember when I was in love with the world and it took a few years for me to find out that the world didn't love me back. And I had to realize that, hey, the only one that truly loves me is God and Jesus Christ. Listen, the issue here is not about worship. It's not about religion. It's not about rules. It's about fellowship. The only thing that matters is, do you and I have fellowship with God? Worship can be purely emotional and selfish. Religion can be prideful. Well, we're the right ones, you're the wrong ones. Rules can be all about control rather than loving protection. That's just the fact of the matter. But fellowship is everything. It's emotional. It's behavioral. It's transparent. It's loving. It's fulfilling. 1 Corinthians 1 verse number 9, God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's real, folks. It's powerful. The Holy Spirit wants to live inside of you and He wants to fellowship with you and I. God made Adam coats of skins. The blood of an animal had to be shed. This was a type or a picture of the covering that the Father would provide through His Son, Jesus Christ. And my last passage of Scripture, and I'm done. 1 John 1, verse number 5. This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. Your purpose of existence is to fellowship with God. Everything else in life is futile, empty, and it's vain. And the last thing that I want to say, and this is a huge, huge blessing, everything that Adam lost is restored in Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered just how precious it must have been for Adam to walk with God in the cool of the garden, to talk to him, to be transparent with no inhibition, not no test of wills that God's wanting him to do one thing, but Adam's wanting to do another, and none of that friction, and none of that God saying, how are you today, Adam? Fine. What you been up to? Nothing. Hey, son, talk to me. What, what, what's going on in your life? Are you, are you doing okay? Yep. It wasn't like that. God had Adam's heart. And Adam had God's heart. It was close. It was fulfilling. If you are saved, 
I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care what you did five minutes ago. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses you from all sin. And because of that, you and I, get a load of this, you and I can have the same fellowship with our Father that Adam enjoyed in his innocency there in the Garden of Eden. You may not always feel like that, but you can believe it and you can trust it because it's true. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.